Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Stephen is back on BrainCare to talk about how we can turn the impossible into possible using insights from his new bestseller, The Art of Impossible. Now, if you missed him last time, he's one of the world's leading experts on human performance. He's a New York Times bestselling author and the executive director of the Flow Research Collective. Go listen to our previous episode where he broke down what flow state is and how to achieve it. But for today, Stephen, welcome back. Good to be with you. Stephen, tell us what your new book is actually about, please. I have spent most of my career studying those moments in time when the impossible became possible. Things that we had never thought were going to be done were done. And I made it my business to be there and try to use the tools of neuroscience to figure out what is going on. I started looking at this question in action sports in the 1990s, which was the so-called great era of impossible, where in surfing, skiing, snowboarding, skateboarding, rock climbing, and the like, more impossible feats, things that really nobody thought the human body was capable of of accomplishing, uh, were being done in kind of a record period of time. That was my first question. How is this possible? Every time you talk to whatever athlete about it, um, the answer involved the state of consciousness known as flow. Uh, I got obsessed with decoding the neurobiology of flow. I also got obsessed with this moment in time when the impossible became possible. And I took this question of, hey, what does this take into every demand of math? Well, I looked at this question in business. I looked at it in technology and science and the arts and, and so forth. And after 30 years of doing this, I put it all together in a how-to peak performance primer. And I say the primer is sort of lessons learned from people who would accomplish capital I impossible, that which has never been done. The book is really meant to be utilized by anybody who is interested in what I would call small I impossible, that which you think is impossible for yourself. And this could be anything. This could be small I impossible, overcoming trauma, rising out of poverty, becoming world-class at anything, becoming a successful artist or entrepreneur. When I was growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, I always said my first impossible was I wanted to be a writer from the time I was a little kid. Cleveland, Ohio, when I was growing up in the 1970s, was a blue-collar, working-class steel mill town. Nobody was a writer. I didn't know any writers. I didn't know how you became a writer. There was no internet. There was nobody to ask. It was a small I impossible, meaning there was no real clear path between point A where I was and point B where I wanted to go. And statistically, lousy odds of success. So that is how the book is designed to find peak performance and then make a final point, which is when I say peak performance, I don't mean anything more or less than getting our biology to work for us rather than against us. That's what I mean. And we can come back to what is that biology in a second. But the point I want to make is because that biology is a limited toolkit and we're all hardwired with the toolkit, it turns out the exact same biology that gets you to capital I impossible gets you to small I impossible. And if you're listening to me talking like, dude, whatever, man, I'm just trying to get through Monday. I hear you. And it turns out the exact same biology that will accomplish capitalized, small I, impossible. It's also the same biology that gets you through Monday. So the tools are the same. How far you want to push yourself with those tools, that's entirely up to you. That's what I think the new book is about.
This is what's new, really new in peak performance. Um, and it had been sort of invisible until the past five or six years because um, of advances in neuroscience. But it turns out when you're talking about the biology of peak performance, especially where I focus, which is cognitive peak performance, there's a limited set of tools. There's actually four sets of tools. So in the front end, there's a set of motivation skills. You can think about it as motivation is the energy for action. It gets you into the peak performance game. Then there's a set of learning skills. This is what allows you to continue to play the peak performance game. There's a bunch of creativity skills. This is how you steer, especially if you're going after so-called impossible goals. I don't know how to get there, right? Creativity is how we steer. And finally, flow, which is an optimal state of consciousness available to all of us, is how we turbo boost the results sort of beyond all reasonable expectation. That's essentially the pathway to impossible if you want to kind of lay it out that way. Now, these are all catch-all terms. I say motivation, right? I'm using it in the way psychologists use motivation. What they really mean is extrinsic motivation, right? Money, sex, fame, things in the world that we'll work for. Intrinsic motivation, really you're talking about the big five intrinsic motivators. There's tons of intrinsic motivators, but the big five are a curiosity, passion, purpose, autonomy, and mastery. Then you're talking about uh, goal setting and grit. That's all under the heading of motivation. There's a similar bunch of stuff under the heading of learning, creativity, and flow. The cool thing is, and what's totally new is, over the past 10 to 15 years, like we've discovered a lot of the pieces of this high-performance puzzle. We've all, there are books on mindfulness or books on gratitude or books on focus or books on flow. I've even written some of those books, but what's different, what changed, what the art and possible I hope captures is that the past five years, we've started to figure out, oh, wait a minute, this is all one system. It's meant to work together. It's meant to work in a specific order. You can do things out of order and still get results. But if you get everything in the order we evolved to bring the system online is, is a way you could say this. You just get farther faster with a lot less fuss. That's the big deal. How like how was the experience of writing your previous books, The Rise of Superman and Stealing Fire? Like how much influence did they have on writing this book? Sort of like almost the, the perfect setup, right? So I, you know, it's, it's, I do eyes of Superman. I loved, and it was, that was an amazing journey for me. Everybody seems to love stealing fire. I do not. Alongside Bold, I think it's my least favorite book, mostly because I think Stealing Fire is a trend piece. And while it may have been big news to the world, oh, altered states are good for you and can be used for peak performance. Like in the world I've been in, this is like, you know, this is the oldest news there is. I'm glad it was super useful to a lot of people. It was very unpleasant for me to write because I really felt I was just like writing the obvious. What you'll notice if you read through The Art of Impossible is to get this stuff right, while there are a bunch of onboarding procedures, like things you got to do ahead of time, for example, to get the most out of intrinsic motivation, all of your major intrinsic drivers, curiosity, passion, purpose, autonomy, mastery, they're all meant to be cultivated and then pointed in the exact same direction. So all your motivators are stacked and perfectly aligned. And then there are three tiers of goal setting, right, that you need to layer on. So there's a handful of onboarding practices. These could take a little while, three to six months to run your way through them. There's some grit training that you need to do sort of on the front end because the motivation is going to run out. But by the time you're at the end of the book, by the time you've worked your way through it, it turns out peak performance is really about six things that you sort of have to do every day. And we went through some of them before, right? I said, like, you want to do pick one a day, but do a five minute gratitude practice, an 11 minute mindfulness practice, 20 to 40 minutes of exercise, because you have to tune the nervous system every day. We talked about that in the last podcast that 
we did together. So point is there's six things to do every day and seven things to do every week. And you're probably already doing like three or four of them. The secret is of course, repeatability and reliability. You would Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, repeat for a very long time because peak performance is compounding interest for sure. You know, the growth starts to get exponential, but it doesn't do that for the first six months kind of thing. And, you know, you want to stick with it and really stretch with it. But that to me is like the, the crazy news is that we are all hardwired for peak performance. Turns out not going big is actually bad for us. We're all built to go big and not going big is actually can be bad for us. And it's not that heart. To put it in different terms, I spent my entire career, I've gone out of my way to find people doing impossible things and be there and say, how did this happen? Who are you? What do you do? Blah, 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 over and over and over. None of them started out extraordinary. They just started out like you and me. And the only real difference is they got a bunch of the peak performance things right, often sort of automatically. You know what I mean? They got they, they rolled the dice and they got lucky on those ones and have continued at it. That's the blueprint. It's the only way anybody ever gets towards extraordinary, and it's available to all of us. What I like to say, if I was like, it's some of 30 years of research into all this, it's that we are all capable of so much more than we know. But the trouble is human potential, human capability is completely invisible to ourselves. Adam Grant's done a bunch of research that takes it further. He says, look, you cannot even know what skills you're going to be good at or enjoy until after you do them. And this is even in adjacent skill sets. So you could go to a basketball star like LeBron James, and let's say LeBron James has never played badminton before. You could say, LeBron, do you think you're going to be good at badminton or like badminton? This is one of the best athletes in the world, and the research says he can't answer the question. We don't know what we're capable of. We don't know what we're going to be good at. We don't know what we're going to enjoy until after the fact, until after we start to acquire some skills in that domain. I always tell people, if you want to know how you get to Capital I Impossible after studying all these people who have done it, very few of them start off going after Capital I Impossible. They start off going, oh, wow, I want to do this thing that I think is impossible for me. And they accomplish that and they go, wow, I did that. What else? I think this thing is impossible for me, right? And they start to stack up. When you see a capital I impossible, what you're really seeing is somebody who's used the tools, peak performance, and flow to drive themselves into a small I impossible and a small I impossible and a small impossible. And often, when you get to capital I impossible, it's just what's next. They don't even notice. And I'll give you a, I'll leave you with a concrete example of this because I remember this so clearly. Laird Hamilton is a big wave surfer, and he's one of the first people who invented towing surfing back in the 90s. And when people started towing into waves, the biggest wave that anybody had ever surfed was 25 feet. For a thousand years, it had been 25 feet. You couldn't do it. There were physics papers written about how it's impossible to get into a wave that's over 25 feet. And Laird shows up, and suddenly they're towing and paddling into waves that are 50, 60, 70 feet tall. It was the craziest thing I'd ever, ever seen. And I remember talking to him about it. And he said, you know, Stephen, he said, the funny thing about that is people see me on a 50-foot wave and they think, oh, my God, that's totally impossible. There's no way I could do that. And I said, and the view is really different on the inside because I know what they didn't see is me. You know, they're seeing me at like this. He was like 30 years old at the time. Um, so he's like, they're seeing me at age 30 
on a 50 foot wave and it's impossible, but they didn't see me at four on a four foot wave and at five on a five foot wave and six on a six foot wave. And they didn't see me last week on a 49 and a half foot wave. So they think, Oh my God, 50 feet. That's totally impossible. And I'm thinking from the inside, dude, you went 49 and a half feet last week, 50, uh, like really you push it that hard. Couldn't you have done better? I mean, you can't control the surf, but really, like the view is really different on the inside than the out. Love that. What would be your top three takeaways for anyone that wants to uh, try and at least get to Little Eye Impossible? You should buy The Art of Impossible. That's one. You should read The Art of Impossible. Two. You should apply The Art of Impossible in your life. Three. <laughs> As a general rule, large portions of life is unpleasant. It's difficult. It's hard here in general, and it's going to be extremely difficult if you try to achieve the impossible in your life. It's true. It's going to be unpleasant. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It turns out, in my opinion, if you're just going to sit on the couch and try to ignore your potential, deal with the pain of life through television coping strategies and booze, and whatever, that's actually more. That sucks worse. It's a lot worse. It's going to be hard here either way. Why not roll the dice? When you look back and you're like, oh, my God, look what I've managed to pull off. And I don't mean change the world stuff. I mean, I didn't think I could do this, and I did it. I didn't think I could do this, and I did it. That's how you get life satisfaction, those little eye moments. I said in the beginning, we're designed to go big and not going big is bad for us. That wasn't arbitrary. So there are six major causes of anxiety and depression, which is globally the largest epidemic right now. One out of 10 adults are going to be diagnosed and in some kind of treatment over the next year. There are eight major causes. Trauma and genetics get the most attention. Genetics, I can't make enough serotonin. My genes are wrong. I can't be happy or trauma. Something bad happened and I can't get over it. And both are bullshit. The science shows genetics are only ever 50% of a depression anxiety equation is always how you're living now, how you're thinking now. And the vast majority of time with trauma, it leads to post-traumatic growth, right? Shitty things happen. We grow through it. We become a better person. That's called life. We all do that. Very rarely you get post-traumatic stress disorder. What are the other six major causes of depression? Number one in the world is lack of meaningful work. We are designed to use these tools in a specific way. And when we don't, we get very bad results. The other five major causes of depression are more of the same. When we don't use our, our system the way it was designed to use to go after large challenges to rise to our capabilities, there's a penalty. And on that note, is it ever too late to start? No, I don't think so at all. In fact, my new book is about peak performance aging and how much ass can we kick from our 50s to our 80s. And I don't think it's ever too late. Beautiful. Stephen, where can people find you if they want to learn more? And they will want to learn more. Flowresearchcollective.com is, is the collective. If you're interested in flow trainings, that sort of thing, that's where you go. If you're interested in my book, stephencotler.com is where you go. Awesome. Thanks so much, Stephen. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Jim. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how well you're feeding your brain, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain food to get your free score from one to 100 and start taking action from there. See you next week.